0: Movies where they represented the, the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul and kind of the, the early days. Um, and it's always funny to me when I see these movies, the way they portray the disciples. I mean, you know, you're basing it on the scriptures and you're basing it on kind of, you know, guessing what their personalities would be like by the way they wrote and what, the way they responded to things. And so you always see Peter as this. Um, Seems to be kind of a clueless kind of guy um, who just says whatever comes off the top of his head and, and everybody looks at him like, you know, I can't believe you said that. And, but he's still a little forceful. But then, and then you have the apostle John, uh, remember the, the disciple whom Jesus loved, is always kind of presented as this kind of wimpy kind of guy that, you know, he was just this, oh, he just loved everybody. And, and then Paul is always presented as just this hard-nosed, everybody, get it right. But as we look today, as we're thinking through today's passage, you're going to see that Paul talks to this group of people like a parent. And he's trying to encourage them and and to build them up. And the reason I was thinking through this, this series today, we're going to do the next three weeks looking at who we are as City Church. Why City Church? And, uh, Judy and I moved back to Columbia two years ago from Texas where I had been pastoring a church for 15 years. And so you come back and you start looking for a church. Now, you know, out when you move to a church to become the pastor, you're not looking for a church. You know, they're hiring you. You go, they're looking for, you know, it's kind of a, you go out there and you hope that this is going to work out, but but it's not like looking for a church. So we began to look for a church here in Columbia. Now... You know, first off, it's not real hard to find one. All you got to do is close your eyes and point, and you'll, you'll see a church. But we visited several churches. Some we liked, okay, and some we thought, well, I don't know. Um, and so finally, we called a friend of mine, Lynn Keesey. Lynn and I were in Bible college together um, back before the earth uh, was formed, I think. And so I was talking with Lynn, and, and he said, well, why don't you come visit Radius Church? So we said, okay, we'll see you Sunday. And so Sunday I got up and I'm watching the weather report and it's saying all these churches in Columbia are closed for the day. And I'm thinking, it's just raining. Why are we closing church for rain? Now, by the end of that day, when I realized that the whole city was flooded and uh, that it was probably a good idea that we'd cancel church that day. But I didn't really expect, I don't know that anybody expected that much water that day. But so that was the day we were supposed to visit Radius Lexington. So we decided we'll go the next week. And so we went the next week. Chris Seabee spoke. We really liked it. We went Tuesday night to Lynn and Laurie's city city group, listen to me, small group, and and just really enjoyed it. And so we thought, we really like it here. So the next week, we go, and there's a guest speaker. And that guest speaker was Jason Altry, who began to share about the vision for Radius West Columbia, which is now City Church. And I left that day thinking, you know, I'd I'd like to get on board with that. But I, you know, I don't know. I'm not going to say anything to Judy about it. We'll see how it kind of comes out. And then Judy said, you know, I think that'd be kind of good for us to get involved there. So the next week we went back to Lexington where Jason was speaking again, shared with Jason and Bonnie about wanting to be a part of this church. And so we began to to go to Brian and Jenny's small group and and kind of dream with the group about what this church was going to look like and what this church was going to be like. And then as the the Lord would have it because of my job, the very first Sunday I was traveling. So I was in Turkey, couldn't be here for the first Sunday, but I've just truly loved this church and and enjoying being a part of this church. And so as I thought through the next few weeks, I thought, why should I ask anybody to choose City Church? Why would I say, come to this church and be a part of this church? I mean, there's there's churches out there. You know, And, and our mission statement, we're a gospel-centered church in the city and for the city that exists to encourage people, equip them for life, and engage them in God's mission. And so today, we're going to talk about encouraging people. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, which uh, we is mine and Judy's, actually our our, uh, theme verse for our marriage. But Paul says this, so encourage each other and build up each other just as you also are already doing. And so he says here, I want to encourage you. Paul's writing it earlier in the letter. He says, I'm writing almost like a a mother who's nursing her child. He he writes because he realizes and understands that these people in Thessalonica have been through it. If you remember several months, a uh, while back, we talked about Acts chapter 17. In Acts 16, Paul had planted the church in Thessalonica, had gone there to minister. But then because of the way the Jews had stirred up the situation, Paul had to escape out of Thessalonica to go to Berea. So here he is, he, he's talking to a group of people that saw him being persecuted and run out of town. And so he leaves and he, he comes back and he, now he's saying, this is one of the first letters he writes. And he writes and he says, I want to encourage you. I want to build you up. Now, why would they need encouragement? Well, we're not going to go back and read all the passages. But in chapter 4, we realize that there had been a death of a lot of their friends. A lot of the people that they were part of their church had died. And they were confused. What does this mean? I mean, this Christianity was new to them. What does it mean that they have died? Does this mean that they're just kind of hanging around out there somewhere? Or what's going on. And so he's trying to encourage them, saying, look, I realize you've got friends and loved ones who've died, but we still trust the Lord. I want to encourage you to help each other through this. And then we also see in chapter 2 that they're still under persecution. The same Jews who ran Paul out of town are hanging around in Thessalonica, giving the church a hard time. So they're under this persecution. They've got all these these friends who have died. They're under persecution. They realize in in chapter 4 too that you know, sometimes they think, well, this is great, I'm following Christ, and then something happens and they go, man, I, did, I blew it. You know, sometimes you need encouragement because you don't live up to the standard that you know you're supposed to live up to. And so these guys are, are trying to, Paul's trying to encourage them. And he's trying to encourage them because the people that started the church aren't there anymore. Paul and, and Silas and Timothy have had to leave. Now, Paul later sends them back when he stays by himself in Athens, but, but they're there trying to figure this out on their own. What are we going to do? How are we going to survive? And so he's trying to encourage them to, to hang out together, to, to make this work. And then other trials and tribulations that have come. So, so these people need encouragement. And it's not encouragement. Sometimes, you know, we, we encourage people in a way that's really not encouraging. You know, they're in the middle of a bad situation. And we put it on, oh, it's going to be okay. Now, that sounds good. But in the midst of that struggle and trial, they don't really see how it's going to be okay. You know, they say, yeah, it's okay for you because you get to leave and go home. But I've still got to deal with this. And so, so that encouragement, or the of encouragement, like, I know most of y'all were probably watching Clemson and, and uh, Carolina last night. But I was watching Georgia. Um, and and the encouragement that uh, Kirby Smart was giving on the sidelines isn't real encouraging. You know, you could just see on his face that he was not a happy camper. He was encouraging them to do better, but not in a way that was very encouraging. So, I want us to see how do we encourage one another? How do we, as a church, truly fulfill what we say is our mission is that we want to encourage people, So today, we're just going to look through this passage. The first thing he says here is how can we encourage one another? He says in verses 12 and 13, Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work. Now, I know what you're thinking. Wade, as one of the leaders of the church, you're saying, Hey, the best way to encourage everybody is to listen to what I say. You know, I mean, it's, just, it's sort of like the, you know, the person who, you know, the pastor who hammers that, you know, wives are to submit to their husbands, you know, and you're going, oh man, I don't want to be at your house. Um, yeah, it's not saying that. And it's not saying that everyone who is in a position of leadership deserves certain things. But what he's saying here is these people are, have chosen in the midst of a bad situation, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of trials and struggles, to kind of come alongside and take the lead. You know, when you we've got friends of ours in Central Asia in uh in Uzbekistan. Now when the police show up at their church in Uzbekistan, who do they arrest? The pastor. They arrest the leaders. So when persecution is happening, who gets the brunt of that? The leaders. And he's saying Respect them because of what they're doing in and for you. They're there to protect. They're there to kind of guide the congregation, but also to protect the congregation. So he's saying because of their wholehearted devotion, you need to be wholly devoted to them. This was not in those days a paid position. The idea of a paid pastor is a relatively new concept in the church. This was men who all day long worked and showed up at a church in the evening to spend time, sometimes late into the night, and sometimes having to, to deal with situations and work with people, and, and and they're doing those things on top of, and then with all the persecution and the pressures that are coming from the Jews in Thessalonica that are going, You're teaching something different than what we're supposed to be teaching. And so there's all this struggle, and he's saying, to encourage, listen to your leaders, respect your leaders help them. Basically, the idea of respect here is really the word of acknowledge. it's not acknowledge, oh, I know you're a leader. But it's it's acknowledging, accepting, and understanding the leadership role in the church. And sometimes we tend to think that this is, that people want to do this. I remember when I was in high school, I I took my first job at a little drugstore. And it was one of these things, I went to work and I applied for the job, and my dad said, you can work there as long as you don't work past 10 o'clock at night. Okay, so I go in for my interview. He says, I need somebody to work 8 to midnight. Can you do that? Sure. And then I, and I go home and tell dad, he goes, what? I thought we said 10 o'clock. I said, well, they need somebody till midnight. He said, that's fine, as long as you keep your grades up. As soon as your grades drop, you have to quit. But anyway, so as I began to work there, the first few months, and I was a small guy at, 15, at 16, um, the cash register on the counter was about right here on me. So that tells you an idea. And so the district manager comes come in and say, are you sure he's old enough to be working here? And those kind of things. Um, but but as, as I progressed in the job, and as I began to learn more and more how to do the job, I began to get more and more responsibilities. And I can remember saying, Lord, I really don't want to be in management. You know, because management means you make about a dollar an hour. You ever been around? Because the manager works all the time. If somebody calls in sick, the manager works. I don't, I don't want that because he's a salaried position. So you can work 100 hours a week, and you get paid the same amount as if you work 20 hours a week. I thought, I like the hourly thing, so when I go over that 40, then I get time and a half. This is nice. But it just kept building and kept building until finally they said, would you be the assistant manager? And I said, okay. then the next week, my manager went on vacation and I worked about 110 hours that week for salary. Um, And I thought, see, I knew I didn't want to do this. But it just seemed like over and over again, God keeps putting me into positions of leadership. Not that I seek after them. You know, Judy and I talked about it. If I get a job somewhere, I just want to get a job where I have no responsibility. I just go and do my job and go home and and not talk to anybody. And she said, within six months, you'll be running the place. And I go, no, I don't want to be running the place. Because I don't. Because leadership is not. It's a privilege in some ways, but it's a responsibility. It's a stewardship. And the men in this church realized the stewardship that came with that leadership of that church and and Paul's saying, respect these guys for stepping up and taking that stewardship. And then he says the last part of verse 13, and live peacefully with each other. Live peacefully with each other. Now, I don't know about you guys, but there used to be a joke going around among ministry circles is that ministry would be easy if it wasn't for people. You know, because... We deal with each other and there's sometimes I'm not easy to be around. Some of you may be thinking a lot of times, but there's sometimes I'm not easy to be around. There's sometimes you're not easy to be around. There's sometimes we grate on each other's nerves. I saw on Facebook this week, somebody said there's however many nerves there are in the body and some people can get on every one of them, you know? And so we, we're we like that. We, we irritate each other. We frustrate each other. There are times when we don't always see eye to eye. But what does it show to someone who's lost and not a member of the church if there's constant bickering and fighting in the church? Back in the late 80s, early 90s, which was before a lot of you, but there were two men who were well-known Christian leaders in the country who... Disagreed on a theological point. And it's okay that they disagree theologically. It's okay if they want to sit in a room and argue with each other all day long. But they both wrote a book. And in that book, they blasted the other person. And those books sold in the millions. So what that's telling me is, instead of living peacefully with each other, we're showing the world that we can make a lot of money by pointing fingers at each other. And we do it all the time. Now we don't have to write a book and sell millions of copies. We can just post it on Facebook. We can tell everybody our thoughts about that person live. And so we've got to be careful. The world wants to see people who love one another. Jesus said the world will know that you're my disciples by your love one for another. Now, love doesn't mean we always agree. But it does mean we live peacefully with one another. We agree to disagree. We walk in love and unity no matter whether we agree on everything or not. And so he says that. That helps to encourage. And then verse 14. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid, take tender care of those who are weak, And be patient with everyone. Warn those who are lazy. Yeah, sometimes that's easy to do. (laughs) You know, somebody's being lazy, it's easy. It's easy for me, especially with my children. It's not as always easy with somebody else, but with my children, if they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing, it's real easy for me to warn them. Now, they're all adults now, but there's still come two of them to live at home, so I can still warn them from time to time. That, you know, if they want to not do it, they can go out and get a job and get their own apartment. But, you know, it's easy to warn and that's sense, but it's not that, it's not what that word means. This word is the word admonish, it's to encourage. The idea is to to come alongside and to say, look, what you're doing is wrong. This is how we can fix it. And I'm willing to help you fix it. It's actually a word that's used for a style of counseling, Christian counseling. And the idea is, in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, it talks about the Word of God is inspired. And it's inspired for what? For teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And this style of, of counseling is, we reprove, we say, that's, that's wrong. We teach you what's right. We correct you as you begin to grow and we train you how to live that way. So that's what this word is carrying. The idea is not just go, yeah, you're lazy. What's wrong with you? It's, it, look, we need to all work together. We need to be part of this together. We need to build one another up and to, to be strengthened together. Help, let me help you. There's going to be things that I'm not good at that you can help me. There's going to be things you're not good at that I can help you. We're in this together. So we We warn the lazy. We encourage those who are timid. You know, it's funny because I see people all the time. We used to have uh, teenagers who would come on short term mission trips and different things, and we would. It's amazing how bold you can be when you're only going to be somewhere for a week. You know, you can tell everybody about Jesus when you're there for a week because you're going to leave and nobody's. You know, so what? They don't like you. But those same people won't talk to the person who lives who sits in the seat next to him at school and so we get timid we get afraid to to, to be what God's called us to be and he says encourage the timid help people to see that it's not the end of the world think of sharing the gospel in Thessalonica where you could die or be run out of town for sharing the gospel you know when I, when I meet with guys from Azerbaijan who traveled for four hours from northern Iran in a, in a taxi where the whole time they saw the taxi driver with his hand on a knife. So they don't know if he's going to kill them or not. But they talked to him about the Lord, thinking, well, if he kills us, we've at least talked to him about the Lord. Matter of fact, they told him. You know, either way, if you're going to kill us, you, you can do it now or you can wait the four hours and get the money that we're going to pay you for, and you can kill us then, but just give us a chance to talk to you. I mean, they knew he was planning on killing them. You know, we need to encourage people that it's not the end of the world to take a stand for Jesus. And it's OK, and there's going to be always going to be times. There's times when I've been around somebody and I just go, ah, I don't know if I want to take a stand." So we've got to encourage one another. We warn those who just refusing to do what they're supposed to do. We encourage those who are afraid to do what they're supposed to do. And he said, then take tender care of those who are weak. Now the idea here is both weak physically and spiritually. He's saying, take care of those who can't take care of themselves, who physically are just, cannot do it. That's why we talk about being for the city. That's why we have built wheelchair ramps because people can't do it. That's why we stood in a lady's yard and cleaned because she couldn't do it. We, we help the weak. But we also take tender care of those who are weak spiritually. And that doesn't mean when, you know, there's a whole passage in Romans 14 and people say, well, Paul says there's some who are strong spiritually, some who are weak spiritually. So this means these people are really good and these people are really bad. Now, what he's saying is some people have done it long enough some people have a a strength and encouragement that comes from seeing how god works and it doesn't make them better it makes them more responsible to help those who are struggling with if this really what god's wanting us to do or not and so there's times when we come to church or we're involved in ministry or we're at our job and and we're just full of faith and we're strong spiritually and there's times when we're going lord what is up i don't understand Why is this happening this way? And we need people to come alongside and encourage to to take tender care of us when we're spiritually weak, when we're struggling. So he says to do that. Now here, Paul begins to get kind of personal. Be patient with everyone. All right, Paul. What are you trying to tell us here? Be patient with everyone? You know who I have to hang around with? You know, think of who Paul had to hang around with. He was traveling with these guys all the time. They'd go into areas. They'd be uh, abused. They'd be put in jail. John Mark walked out on them. You know, he and Barnabas had kind of a falling out for a while and then got back together. And Paul's saying, be patient with everyone. He didn't say, be patient with those people who are nice. Be patient with those people you like. Be patient with everyone. Does that bring encouragement? Which is more encouraging, to be yelled at or to be treated nicely when you are not doing what you're supposed to be doing? You know, we're patient with one another. One passage says we're long-suffering. Now, the difference between patience and long-suffering is I can be patient for a short amount of time, but long-suffering is patience for the long haul. And so we're patient with everyone. To do that brings encouragement. And then verse 15. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. See, retaliation is not an option for Christians. Let me say that again. Retaliation is not an option for Christians. I don't care how someone treats you. You are never justified as a believer to retaliate. You're never justified to repay evil for evil. You're called upon to repay good for evil. To pour out love on those who mistreat you. You say, Well, I'm not sure I can do that. Well,. The person who lives inside of you, if you're a believer, prayed for the people who were driving nails into his hands and feet. On your own, no, you can't do it. But through the power of Christ, you can. And so we begin to live in a way that we don't bring evil for evil. We don't fight back. And that's hard. That's real hard when somebody posts something on Facebook about you or says something rude to you, to not be rude back, to not post something back, to not fight back. But that's what God's called us to do. When I was in Texas, we we had a situation. We merged two churches together and uh, went along well for about six months. Um, And then one day I got a call from the other pastor. The other pastor said, I need to talk to you about something. So I go to his office, it's eight or nine o'clock at night. I go meet him at the church. He said, I just need to tell you that I feel like in your eyes, you've, in the eyes of the church, you're being exalted more than you should be. And I'm going to do everything I can to keep that from happening. That's a, that was an encouraging meeting. You know, you leave going, okay, what does that mean? Um, and from that moment forward, no matter what we did, he was against it. Um, we were in an elders meeting They got to the point where one of the elders who was a triple degree black belt had to stand and get in his face and say, if you do not sit down, I will physically remove you from the church. Um, they got to that point. And then he left and, and kind of left the mess. And people coming to me, well, why did pastor so-and-so leave? what do I do? Tell everybody what a jerk he was? Tell everybody he freaked out? Tell everybody he was mean to me? No? I say he just, you know, philosophy of ministry was different. And he decided he needed to be somewhere else. Was that a lie? Not really. His philosophy of ministry was a whole lot different than mine. But, you know, it's not a matter of, I can't repay evil for evil. But I'll be honest with you. I had to to go to school every day. There were several guys from our church that would miss the bus. And so they would call Pastor Wade to come pick him up to school. Um, and I had to drive by his house. And I'll be honest, for about three months, every time I drove by his house, just in my gut, I'm thinking, oh, I could just... Call everybody from the church and tell them what he did, (laughs) you know. And one day I'm sitting at a red light near his house, and the Lord said, "You truly forgive him." I said, "Well, you know, I forgive him, but I can't forget." (laughs) And God said, "If you truly forgive him, you can choose to put it aside." And I'm not trying to brag on myself, but from that day forward, when I drive by his house, the Lord put it on my heart to pray for him. He still couldn't care less if he ever talks to me again. But I pray for him. And I, have that, I don't have that animosity anymore in my heart for him. But it, it's hard. When people treat you like dirt, it's hard to be what God's called us to be and not retaliate. But Paul says here, see that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. And then he has kind of uh, four little, quick little things. He says here, always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. He says, live in joy and thankfulness and prayerfulness. Now, the, the, the end of that verse says, for this is God's will. And we tend to think it only applies to being joyful, being thankful, and being prayerful. Now, that, that sums up everything he said so far. The idea of not retaliating, the idea of warning those who are lazy, encouraging those who are weak, the idea of respecting your leaders, that's all God's will for you. So as we, we live, there's one commentator said this, it won't be up on the screen, but he says, the church must not let its problems create an atmosphere of gloom and pessimism. Rather, an optimistic atmosphere of joy, thanks, and praise ought to characterize the assembly when belie- believers gather. Now, that's, let's be careful here. You know, what he's not saying is, let's just be optimistic, everything's wonderful, everything's joyful, yeah, praise God, Hallelujah. But he's also not saying I've had people tell me, well, I just gotta be myself. If I'm in a bad mood, I gotta be myself. Who says? You know, I'm not being honest if I smile when I really feel miserable. <laughs> I don't care whether you're honest or not, smile. I don't want you know, I don't want to be dragged into your misery. You know, <laughs> if it's I mean, I don't really know how you address that. But he's you know, he's saying what what the idea is When people come into our church, do they want to see us all sitting around? Do they want us worshiping the Lord? Singing and praising to Him? You know, there should be joyfulness, thankfulness, prayerfulness as we come together. It doesn't mean everything's perfect and everything's rosy. But in James chapter 1, it says, consider it all joy when you encounter trials. So it's a matter of trusting and believing in the Lord no matter what. I mean, these next few days, Florida is going to be experiencing tremendous trials. Now, how do we respond? How do they respond? You know, do, do we as Christians point the finger and go, well, Florida must have really sinned. You know, God blessed us. We prayed. It didn't come to us. He's blasting them out, but hey, you know, he saved my family. Praise God. Yeah, no. In the midst of it, if, if that hurricane had come right up from Charleston, right up through Columbia, we've got to praise him anyway. We trust him no matter what. We bring him honor and glory. Even in bad times. You say, wait, how do you do that? And it's easy for you to say. Is it easy for me to say, I've buried 34 friends and family members. It's not easy. There are times it hurts. But in those times, I can still praise the Lord and trust Him and be at peace with Him. And then he says here, the last part, do not stifle the Holy Spirit Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. Now, a couple of aspects here. This version says, do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Some versions say, do not quench the Holy Spirit. Now, Gary, you guys went camping this week. Did y'all build a fire when you went camping? A bunch of fires. Did you just leave those fires burning when you left? Okay, well... (laughs) Smokey the bear is going to come get you. Um, you When you get ready to leave, do you just kind of go, just throw one little cup of water on the fire? No, you douse that fire. You quench that fire. And he's saying, if we don't live the way we've said on these other verses, we're going to quench the Holy Spirit. We put out His fire. But he says, don't do that. Live in the way, follow these, these guidelines, this encouragement so that the Holy Spirit is on fire and moving and and working in this church. For this to, to happen, we cannot quench the Holy Spirit. But then he says something that we kind of struggle with today. You know, to, to... What is it he says here? Do not scoff at prophecies. Okay, now, I'll be honest with you. There are some prophecies out there that I scoff at. Okay? I... I I hate to say it, but there are some out there that are just nuts. And so, yes, I scoff at them. The idea here is prophecy in the scriptures isn't always a foretelling of the future. That's really just a minor part of what the prophecies were. Even in the Old Testament, a prophet, sort of what he told was future, but most of what he said was a word from the Lord for that specific situation. If you think about it, Old Testament times, okay? You're in the middle of you're a, you're a Jew and you're in the middle of Babylon. You've been captured, you and and so a prophet's going to come to you and say, "It's okay. 1000 years from now, you're going to be not you're going to be free." And you go, "Well, thanks a lot." You know, the the future prophet future aspect was part of it. But most of it was a word from God to speak to that situation. And so God gives us, even today, words from him to speak to the situations that we're in. He says, don't scoff at those. But he says, do test what's being said. I want to challenge you because our tendency is in the church, and we see it in every church, not just city church, is if it's said from up here, oh, it's got to be true. It's got to be right. So I'm just going to suck it in. Test what's said. I'm not up here purposefully trying to deceive you, but I could say something wrong. And if I say something wrong, I want you to call me and say, wait, you know, I was looking at that passage and I think you're nuts. You know, because I want to learn, I want to be true to what God's word says. I don't want to just be saying what I think it says. And if I'm off base, I want to be able to come back next week and say, you know what guys, when I said that, I was wrong. This, you know, someone pointed it out and this is really what that passage says. And I'm okay with that. You're not gonna hurt my feelings. You're not gonna hurt anybody, I, I, hopefully not anybody's feelings. The issue is not just suck it in. Test what is said. Hold on to what is good. Get rid of what is evil. It says by doing that, we encourage one another to be what God's called city church to be. To be a church in the city, and for the city that encourages people, equips people, and engages people. We need to abide by what the Scriptures say and do these things by by being part of it. Because all of this is said not just to the leaders. He's not saying, okay, leaders, you need to always be joyful, always be praying, always be encouraging, always be lifting up the timid, always be strengthening the weak. No, he's saying it to everybody. We're all in this together. We are the body of Christ that meets in this building. And so we're we're here to do this together. We're here to encourage one another, to strengthen one another. How do we do that? Read through this passage. Follow what he's called us to be and do. Because two years ago, when I heard that vision, I didn't say, wow, I I really want to go to West Columbia to church. I live a long way from West Columbia. I didn't say, wow, I really want to get to know Jason and Bonnie so that I can be in leadership at City Church. No, I didn't say that because it wasn't even called City Church then. But I didn't say it for Radius West Columbia either. The issue is it was the vision that God had put in the vision for Radius West Columbia now City Church that has not changed. And so as we move forward, let us encourage one another, build up one another, just as we already are doing. How do we do it? Follow these guidelines. And I believe when we do that, when we encourage each other, then we also encourage those who are outside the church to come and be a part. We encourage the lost to seek out Christ. We encourage the lost to understand who He is. We have opportunities to be in the city and for the city. And so we have opportunities to encourage and see God work. That's what it's about. That's what City Church is here for. If you have any more questions about City Church, feel free to stop out. I know some of you are visiting. But that's what City Church is about. That's why we're here. So let's encourage one another and build up one another, just as we already have been doing. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the truth of your word.